Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming out on this cold and dreary night. It's not going to be long before winter is here. I can feel it in my bones. So appreciate your, your coming back. Tonight, we are starting a mini-series, uh, only uh, three messages on the life of Barnabas. But uh, we're quickly moving into the Advent season with all the special services, etc. And uh, But we're going to do three messages on the life of of Barnabas, and we are choosing his life because of the fact that he was a great encourager. Barnabas, of course, was known as an encourager. Barnabas was known as an encourager as evidenced by his name in Acts 4.36. It says, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. The text informs us that Joseph was the given name of Barnabas. The text also informs us that the apostles were the ones who referred to him as Barnabas. They are the ones who gave him this new name or nickname, uh, just Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. And lastly, the text brings to our attention that Barnabas means encourager. This Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, so that we don't miss it, so that it is blatantly obvious. It not only tells us his name, but tells us the meaning of that name, that he's the son of encouragement. Thus, we can say without any hesitation or reservation that Barnabas is certainly known as an encourager. And I asked the question, how would you like to be known? If you could establish your own epitaph, okay, uh, maybe this is kind of a morbid thought, but what would you like to have on your tombstone? What would you like your nickname to be? How would you like to be viewed. When people think of you, and if they had to describe you in one sentence, what would you want that sentence to be? Well, for Barnabas, it was the fact that he was an encourager. He was an encourager. That's how he was known. That's how everyone thought of him. That was the particular view that people had concerning Barnabas. He was an, an encourager. So tonight, I want us to look at the reasons why Barnabas was such an effective encourager. What did he do that made him an encourager? How did that particular attribute manifest itself in his life? Well, first, Barnabas was a great encourager because he generously met the needs of others. In Acts chapter 4, verse 36, it says, Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. And then it tells us in the very next verse, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this individual, Barnabas, had a piece of property and he sold it and brought the proceeds of the sale to the apostles to distribute. Where we find in 
Acts chapter 4, verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. These are the early believers at Jerusalem. For as many as were owners of lands, of houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. So he was very generous in selling his property and giving it to those that were in need by giving it to the apostles for distribution. Number two, Barnabas was a great encourager because his positive example was influential in the actions of others. Now, one of the things that uh, a good encourager does is motivates others. Uh, it uh, inspires, it instills within other people good qualities. And we're going to see that uh, his quality was adopted by others. A, the practice of selling land and using the proceeds to help the needy among them became the norm rather than the exception. His act of love and charity had become a motivating factor for others to serve the Lord in the same manner. For it tells us in verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. And here's the reason, for as many as were owners of lands or houses. So it's a corresponding one-to-one. -one. Those who had houses or lands sold them. It became a universal practice and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Now that's pretty remarkable. It's one thing for Barnabas to sell his land, but to think that that one act prompted everyone else to do the same thing. I mean, that is quite an influence. That's quite an impact on a believing community, that every single one of them was selling their house and, and their lands and taking the proceeds and giving it to the apostles. B, we can see Barnabas's influence in the practice of selling lands and donating the proceeds because he alone is singled out. For it tells us that many had done what Barnabas had done, verse 34, for as many as were owners of lands of houses sold them. So he was not unique in this, but the fact that Barnabas is singled out by the name for the practice and his name was changed leads us to believe that he was the first to sell his lands and to lay the proceeds at the apostles' feet. Otherwise, why is he singled out? Why is he mentioned as one who sold his property and gave it to the apostles. And the only answer that I can come up with is because he was the first. He was the pioneer. He was the trendsetter. He set a, an activity in motion that others then followed and did what he did. See, the practice of selling one's goods had been so widely adopted and admired that even those who were not right with God could not resist the perceived expectations to give of their possessions as evidenced by Ananias and Sapphira. So what I'm saying to you is even people who were not right with God, even people who had hesitancy, who had uh, a, disease, a, a level of resistance, who really didn't want to do this, did it anyway. It became universally expected 
For we find in Acts chapter 5, verse 1, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. However, it should be kept in mind that it was not necessary to do this for Acts chapter 5, verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your, your disposal? So there wasn't a rule, there wasn't a command, uh, there wasn't a policy that was developed that the apostles said everyone had to sell their property and bring it and have it dispersed. Uh, there was no legislation, there was no dictate, there was no mandate. But what Ananias and Sapphira couldn't resist is the praise, the adulation, the respect that Barnabas had garnered from making that particular sacrifice. And then others were being praised and being exalted because they were making a similar sacrifice and Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be viewed that way. They wanted to be viewed as generous. They wanted to be viewed as sacrificial. They wanted to be viewed like a Barnabas, but they didn't really want to be a Barnabas. They really weren't sacrificial. They just wanted the reputation. They just wanted to be regarded that way. And so, of course, what they did was unacceptable. For Barnabas did it of a pure heart, Annas and Sapphira did not. <laughs> now, let me just give you an aside here as we talk about this practice. For there have been some that have suggested that this kind of should be the norm within Christianity, that this is kind of a New Testament example for the church, and this is how we as believers ought to conduct ourselves, and this is how we should handle our monies, namely, we should sell our property, we should sell uh, all of our possessions, pool our resources, and uh, just distribute among God's people so that everyone has the same and everyone's on the same footing, and that that is following a New Testament example. Well, I don't believe that that's correct, and it certainly is not in keeping with this passage. Number one, while it is commendable that Barnabas was willing to sell all and give it to the poor, was commendable, his widespread adoption eventually led to the spread of poverty. Romans 15, 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor saints among for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So this church eventually becomes poor. They're, they're, they don't eradicate poverty. If everyone sells everything they have, eventually no one has anything. Eventually it runs out. And so by the time you get to the book of Romans, now other churches are having to give to the Jerusalem church because of the poverty that exists among them. So this isn't to be a 
practice that everyone needs to engage in. This is not an example of how the New Testament church is to function, but that doesn't mitigate the heart desire that Barnabas had that was commendable to give what he had. Number two, perhaps Barnabas was motivated to do this because he was a Levite. I'm always trying to think about every single word in the scriptures. I believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture, meaning that every word that's in the Bible is inspired, that there are no wasted words in the scripture. And so I asked myself, why does it tell us that he was a Levite? Why, why do we need to know that? Why, why does that inform us anything about, about Barnabas? How does that move the story forward? What are we to glean from that? Well, I submit to you, it's because a Levite was not given a portion of the land in the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 13, 14, to the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. Joshua 13, 33, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. So in the Old Testament, Levites did not own property. Now, Barnabas did not live in Israel. He lived in Cyprus. It tells us he was a, a native of Cyprus. That is, that was where he was from. And if you look on a map, Cyprus wasn't a part of the landmass of Israel. It's not a part of the promised land. So that's important for us to understand. Because even if we wanted to make the argument that he shouldn't have been uh, owning land in Israel, there certainly was no prohibition about owning land elsewhere, all right? The, uh, so there would have been nothing wrong with him owning this property. But I would submit to you that out of a conscience, out of a love for the Lord, out of a, a sense of the background, the history, etc., that this was something that he felt that he wanted to do, he needed to do. Uh, it was an act of, in his heart, Obedience, surrender, recognition of the fact that God can supply, etc., etc., etc. So there's a lot going on, I would submit to you, in the life and heart of Barnabas that's really commendable. All right, he's trying to think through his relationship to the Lord and what are his duties and responsibilities. So it seems likely that it would have been fine for him to own the land that he possessed, nevertheless. He probably was moved to do so out of a desire to honor the Lord. Five. The point being that while what Barnabas did was commendable, it is not to be a universal practice in the church today. We can hold those two things in tension. All right? We can praise something and someone for what they do, but doesn't mean everybody has to do it. All right, that is uh, an important part to understand even when it comes to the service. 
we don't all serve the Lord in the same way. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same abilities. We don't all have the same talents. We don't all have the same resources. And while it's commendable that some people sing, it's a good thing that other people aren't singing. All right? Uh, while, you know, some people need to teach, it's a good thing that some people aren't. Uh, we need to recognize that there is, there is diversity in the body of Christ. So this is really an aside. All of that to say, it is commendable what Barnabas did, but that isn't what everybody has to do. And as we think about encouragement tonight, it doesn't mean that all of us, if we're going to be encouragers, need to sell our houses and lands and bring them and disperse them. But it does mean that generosity and selflessness is a very important part of being an encourager. It's hard to be an encourager without being generous and without being selfless. Or one of the things that keeps people from being an encourager is pride. Pride. So many people have a difficult time in praising other people because they want to be praised. Because they want to be exalted. They want to be recognized. And they have a very difficult time in recognizing or praising or exalting someone else. To be an encourager, it means that you are seeking to give as opposed to receive. That when you engage in conversations with others, it is with the intentionality of helping them as opposed to be receiving help. <laughs> to lift their spirits as opposed to having one's own spirits lifted. It is a person who comes to church looking for people to talk to as opposed to sitting there looking for people to come to talk to them, right? That one important element of being an encourager is a generous, selfless spirit, which was manifested in the life of Barnabas by selling his property. It doesn't stop there. I've got three messages, and next week we'll see other ways in which he was encourager, but this is an important part. Selflessness and generosity. Thirdly, Barnabas was a great encourager for his actions contributed to the peace and unity of the church. The church was characterized as being unified. Acts 4.32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. That's a, a wonderful expression of unity of one heart and one soul. They were committed to each other. And this commitment went far beyond just a financial commitment. But their unity is illustrated or evidenced by their sharing everything. Verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. And here's the description of what that means. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. They, they shared everything. Thus, this unity 
was further evidenced by people relinquishing control over their donations and putting them at the apostles' disposal. For it tells us in verse 34 that there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And now these words laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. However, <clears throat> there came a time when this unity began to unravel, when this one heart and one soul and this mutual love and concern began to fall apart. And it's found in Acts chapter 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, and here's the reason, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So there was a daily, regular distribution of foodstuffs or monies or something that enabled people to live and to function. So on a daily basis, they are taking care of, at least in this context, the widows. But there was a problem because the Hellenist widows were being neglected. Now, there, that could have two reasons associated with it. Uh, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. Hebrews in the New Testament are Hebrew-speaking Jews. So they had the same ethnic background. But some were Hebrew-speaking and some were Greek-speaking. Now, socially, the Hebrew-speaking Jews viewed themselves as superior to the Greek-speaking Jews. They understood the mother tongue, and they were able to read the Old Testament scriptures in the original, all right? So they viewed themselves as a step above the Hellenistic Jews who hadn't learned to speak Hebrew, would not have been able to read a Hebrew Bible. That's why we have what is referred to as the Septuagint. The Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Old Testament that was used in the New Testament era for those people who couldn't speak uh, Hebrew. So today we have modern translations. For everyone among us that can't speak Greek and can't speak Hebrew, we read an English Bible. Well, the Hellenists read the Septuagint. So there was that stigma. And then there was also the language barrier itself, communicating with those that could not speak Hebrew and those that could only speak Greek, etc. So there were reasons, I believe, that, that this neglect had arisen, but it was a problem. It was a problem. It was a real, genuine problem. It wasn't people just complaining or, or raising a false issue. It really needed to be solved. Oh. 
So looking at Acts chapter 6, verse 2 on top of page 5, and, uh, excuse me, let me, uh, sorry, let's go back to page 4. Now number 1. The solution that was sought was to establish deacons who would be responsible for this activity. Now I'm using deacons in a broad sense. The scripture does not refer to them as deacons here. It can be argued they were deacons. It can be argued that these were forerunners to the deacons. I'm not trying to make that point. I'm, I'm just saying that there were people who were selected to take over this responsibility. Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, it's noteworthy that Barnabas was not chosen as a deacon. His name is glaringly absent from the list. We're told who were chosen, Acts 6, 5. And they went and pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch. Notice Barnabas' name doesn't appear. Barnabas really was willing to relinquish control. Barnabas was an encouragement because he did not have to have his own way. Could a case not have been made for Barnabas to be a deacon? It, it, it's rather striking to me as, as you just sit back and, and just kind of read and, and uh, you know, uh, ruminate over portions of Scripture. And it, I kind of scratch my head and think, you know, if... If somebody's going to put, be put over this, how could you not have somebody better than Barnabas? He's well-respected. He's well thought of. He seems to have been the primary influencer in terms of reaching out and of sharing and giving, etc. cetera. Uh, why wasn't he number one on the list? I don't know. I don't have an answer. But what I want to point out is that Barnabas was not upset that he wasn't chosen. Barnabas was supportive of the, of the decisions regarding both the office of deacon and who was to serve as a deacon. Barnabas was not chosen. Nevertheless, unity and peace reigned. Acts chapter 6, verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. It pleased the whole gathering. Everybody said, this is good. This is great. This is a a wonderful solution. Here is unity prevailing once again. Here Here is the heart and soul coming back together. All I'm saying to you is Barnabas could have put a huge wrench into all that. If he's going to be one who's going to be offended, if he's one who's going to be saying, why wasn't I chosen to be a deacon? If he is seeking to promote himself, there's going to be trouble. But he doesn't. When he laid his monies at the apostles' feet, that was 
That was symbolic of saying, here, I relinquish control. You do as you think is right. You follow the Lord's leading. You follow the Lord's direction. I'm submitting to you. He wasn't holding on to it. He, he wasn't telling them how to spend it. Nor was he being the one that was going to dispense it. He said, here, I give it to you. I recognize your authority. So number four, how did this simple act of selling this land and giving the proceeds to the apostles to distribute serve as a good encouragement? Well, first of all, it was an encouragement to those who had need. He was an encouragement as a provider. Acts chapter 4, verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the context is of raising monies to give to the poor. And uh, the Apostle Paul says that there's going to be a collection when he comes, and they need to get ready uh, to enter into this uh, collection, this uh, fund that's being established to meet the needs of the poor. And 2 Corinthians 9, verse 12 gives us this characterization of this fund, of this ministry. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So as Paul gives a reason for the Corinthian believers to give, he says there, there's a twofold reason. First, there is the supplying of the needs of the saints, which is certainly worthwhile. That is important. That's that's needy, that is beneficial, that's a good reason, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings of God. This is a unique way to give praise and honor to God. God's name is going to be exalted. God's name is going to be praised as a result. Those that receive this are going to be praising the Lord. But beyond that, beyond that, those that hear of this kind of sacrificial giving are going to marvel and are going to, to praise the Lord. And for Paul, that, that's the highest motivation. Here is a way for you to glorify God. Point being, Barnabas got that. Barnabas knew that. And the way that he responded the situations demonstrates that. That he was very concerned with bringing honor and glory to God. And that should be a huge motivation for us to be encouragers. Because we want people to live lives that bring honor and glory to God. We want to help them. We want to build them up. We don't want to tear them down. We want them to be stronger in their faith, not weaker in their faith. We want them to become more committed, not less committed. We want them to be turned on, not turned off. We want to be a help to them spiritually for their own benefit and their own reward and also for the ultimate honor and glory of God. For we certainly know the 
devastating negative effects of the church at Corinthians that was known as a schismatic church that had developed cults of people that were following Paul and others who were following uh, Apollos and some that were saying, well, we're followers of Christ and saying that in a very arrogant and boastful manner. Here is a church that is experiencing unity and that is praiseworthy to God and Barnabas had a huge role in this. B, Barnabas was an encouragement to the apostles. He encouraged them by being supportive. The fact that Barnabas was an encouragement to the apostles is seen in the fact that the apostles are the ones who changed the name of Joseph to Barnabas. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles, Barnabas. It wasn't the recipients of the gift, okay? It wasn't the poor and needy who were the first to refer to Joseph as a son of encouragement. It wasn't his fellow believers. It was the apostles. It was the apostles. What is striking is that they were the ones that were most encouraged in this whole process. The apostles didn't get rich through this. The, the apostles, it wasn't their needs that were being met, and yet they were uniquely ministered to by Barnabas in this act of selling his property because he laid it at the apostles' feet. Two, his direct support of the apostles is seen in that Barnabas did not just take his money and distribute it in the way that he thought was right. Barnabas put his money totally at the apostles' disposal. He relinquished control. He relinquished oversight. He didn't place any demands on what he gave. There was no designated giving. He didn't say, now I'm expecting that so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so is going to be helped with this. Or I certainly expect that you're going to use this monies in order to accomplish these ends or these purposes. He didn't tell the apostles how to spend it or to who spend it upon. He didn't single out whether it should go to the Hellenists or the Hebrew-speaking Jews. There were no strings attached. He just gave it to the apostles. Now, why am I making such a big deal out of that? Well, number three, this demonstrates that Barnabas believed the apostles to be at least these things. First of all, honest. Honest. <laughs> he thought that they were going to use these monies in an appropriate manner, that they weren't going to abscond with the funds, that they weren't going to be corrupt, that they weren't going to embezzle, they weren't going to misuse, mishandle. He believed that they were honest. Secondly, fair. Fair. 
He believed that when they would dispense these proceeds, that it would be done appropriately, fairly, accurately, in a just and right way. Thirdly, that they were trustworthy, that they could be relied upon, counted upon. There is nothing in this particular portion of Scripture that in any way leads us to a sense that he demanded some kind of accountability from them of how these monies were being spent. Now, accountability is not always wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going there. I'm just saying it's noteworthy that he doesn't make them accountable to him. He just says, here. It says that he viewed them as being in touch. He believed that they knew who was the needy among them. He believed that they would have a proper manner of handling these things. He believed that they could handle it. And lastly, that they were caring, that they were indifferent to the poor and the needy, that, that they would be moved, that, that they would view this as appropriate. So number four, for the apostles to be viewed in this way was an encouragement. It's nice when people believe that we are honest, fair, trustworthy, in touch, and caring. What an encouragement it is when people recognize within us those traits, those characteristics, when people affirm them in our lives, doesn't that make life go so much easier? Doesn't that make the work go so much easier? And don't disassociate chapter 4 from chapter 6. When things start unraveling, and there becomes a complaint about the Hellenists, who solves it? The apostles come up with a plan. The apostles say, this is how we're going to handle it. The apostles say, we, we, can't, we can't do this ourselves. We've got responsibilities of preaching and, and teaching the word of God, this is beyond us. Choose seven people of honest, good report. Choose people who are honest, fair, trustworthy, in touch and caring, and put them over this. Everybody said, that's a good idea. That's, that's great, we're for that, let's go for it. My point is the trust that Barnabas put into the apostles proved to be correct. The trust that he had initially that they'll handle this the right way, they did. They did. And they took on policies and decisions that in the beginning, wouldn't have been even foreseen by most. 
but because they were caring, because they were receptive, because they weren't defensive, because they listened to the complaint, because they were concerned with the honor and glory of God, because they were concerned that, do, that things would be done right, etc., 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 they acted and the people's needs were met and the church's unity was maintained. The apostles did what was right. But one of the reasons the apostles were held in such high regard and respected is because Barnabas gave it back here. Barnabas led the way in how to respond to the apostles. Barnabas showed by his own life what it means to be under the authority of another. Barnabas was an incredible encourager to the apostles. Nine. What a wonderful spirit. What a wonderful attitude. What a selflessness. What a graciousness. What a kindness. What a goodness. Barnabas, an encourager. So tonight, the takeaway is let us seek to be a selfless, gracious, generous people. And meeting the needs of others and supporting God's people and God's work. Promoting unity, not disunity. And encouraging those of character. Demonstrating appreciation for people's honesty, for their integrity, for their commitment, for their care, for their concern. For it goes a long way when the apostles heard the complaints. It says they complained. Who would they have been complaining about? At that point, it's the apostles that are in charge. But when they were hearing the complaints, they had Barnabas. And they could keep those complaints in perspective. They could understand the appropriateness and the genuineness of the complaint. They could accept it because of their spirit, because of the way in which, in general, they were viewed by the church because of Barnabas. Sometimes we all need encouragement, for we all are going to hear complaints. We all are going to experience people that are upset with us or don't like certain things that are done. But to have people that have our back, to have people that express appreciation, gratitude, and trust. What a help that is. What a help that is. May we be that help to one another. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us as we seek to be encouragers. Help us to be a people that build one another up and 
encourage one another in their faith and in their service. I thank you for so many godly people in our congregation who serve so faithfully, so committedly, so regularly, above reproach, who demonstrate integrity and caring. Thank you. And Lord, give us a unity as a people of God that we want to promote one another, we want to help one another, ultimately to your honor and your glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and we are dismissed.